Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello and welcome all you masters and or apprentices. Welcome to another fabulous Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. It's a show all about the very latest and greatest, but you knew about that already. The chances of you being here now accidentally are minimal. And we have some awesome stories today as we celebrate the release of the new Tesla bot. And we've got news that wind turbine blades have a recycling plan now. And you now have a chance to go chat with the dead uh, at a funeral. There's even a special Father's Day gift idea for everyone who forgot that it was on last week. But let's not waste a millisecond more. Welcome to you, Matthew Dickerson. What's been happening in your world? Well, I'm sitting a bit sore as we speak here, James. I went out and ran a half marathon this morning. You're looking a bit tired. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if I fall asleep, just give me a nudge, will you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think I'm okay. It's just as long as I don't have to stand up and move around during this, I should be okay. It's the legs are a bit sore. But what I do love is technology that you see in fun run events these days. And if we go back a long time ago, I was involved in a run for fun, a, a rotary run for fun that we used to do. And it was done, the scoring was done in a very manual basis. Now, I'm going back a long time. I'm going back maybe 20 25 years here. And so Back to the, the age of the stopwatch. <laughs> it was the stopwatch and multiple stopwatches in case someone made a mistake or whatever it might be. So there were people who would record the numbers as they came across and then getting the results done was hours afterwards. The presentation will be done in three hours' time. Just everyone sit around and be patient. We'll get it all done. We've got to process all that That's right. So data. I came up with a slightly better system. I actually wrote a little program that allowed them to have barcodes on the bibs. And then as you came across, you'd come across there, would record the, the finish time and as the barcodes were scanned. So it worked a little bit better. But wow, aren't they fantastic now? So you've got RFID chips in the bibs themselves. And what I love about it is it's the start and the finish. Now the one I did today probably only had about one and a half thousand people in it, but of course we've seen the city to surf just recently, which had fifty thousand people or thereabouts. I mean, normally they go up to eighty thousand people. Yeah. But what's great about that is you can imagine in a huge crowd like that, you're going to get a bit of congestion. Not everyone can get over the start line at the same time, but your time is based on the start and the finish time as yeah. via the pads on the ground. And then at different parts throughout the track, just to make sure someone doesn't decide to sneak a little sneaky no, shortcut. No dirty <laughs> rotten sheets out there, right? You'll have some other scanners that'll actually just record that that bib has gone past that particular spot. So that's a fairly clever bit of technology as well. There's not an actual so pad on the what ground. What happens when you finish the city to surf and it says, ah, uh, you didn't go past this <laughs> stop at the You hu- said 14 kilometres. Bottom of Heartbreak Hill. That's right. So. <laughs> yeah, so I assume that go in their back. results, and probably more to the upper results to the people at the pointy end, they just do a quick check on those to make sure that people did pass any of those various points they meant to do. In the one we did today, it was an out and back course, and so they had a sensor right at the out turnaround point. So again, if you went, oh, I can't really do that distance, I'll, oh, I'll just turn around here, that'll do me. Of course, that beep wouldn't have gone, and that wouldn't have been scanned in. So looking at results, I would have said, no, sorry, you didn't quite make the distance. But the other great part about it is that the results are not instant, but pretty quick to happen afterwards. But it does actually introduce an intriguing little point. And this has actually happened in this event that I ran in today. This has actually happened. You say, for example, you and I are fierce competitors in the marathon that we run on a regular basis, James. Right. And I'm touch and go with you, but I reckon you're a bit faster than me. I might let you... I'm exhausted as well. (laughs) That's right. I'll let you go first, cross the start line, because that's when your timer starts. I might just hold back 20 or 30 seconds 
And then it sounds go, like you're cheating. It you're sounds it. like it, doesn't it? <laughs> and then I know that if I can get within, say, 30 seconds, if I can get within 30 seconds of you as we cross the finish line, then I've actually beaten you. But you don't know when I started. You just start running, ah. off you go. So if I'm running near you, oh, James, you're going too well, mate. I'm going to let you go ahead. I, I just can't keep up with you. You go, oh, good. And so you run along and you might beat me by so five or ten minutes. you push meters. yourself as hard as what you would if someone was That's breathing right. down your neck. And that has happened at this event. Not wow. necessarily orchestrated like that. I'm not suggesting someone deliberately did it, but... Oh, let's do that. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right. Let's start 10 minutes behind someone. But that particular situation happened, and the winner went across the line. Yay, arms in the air. They've won whatever event it was. Say the half marathon. They've won the event. Yay. And someone came along about 10 seconds behind. Oh, couldn't catch you today. They did the results, and the person that came second had oh. started far enough back. They actually came first. Now, you can imagine the first place winner said, hold on. If I knew that person was beating me, oh, I would have had a little bit more sprint to me at the end. So a bit of debate around that. So what this particular event has done is they've changed the rules slightly. If you think you're at the pointy end, if you think you're going to win the overall male or female, being the top three male or female for that particular distance, not all the categories, but that distance, it's across the line. Across the line is the winner regardless of the time. Yeah. So if you think you're up there, make sure you get to the very front of the pack to start because you might as well be on par. Yeah, right. All the other category times, and again, that makes sense. It's fair and even because people are spread out across a long starting line. So it doesn't really matter. Someone that's fifth place in their age category, whether they just got ahead of somewhere else, it's probably not at that level of competitiveness. And maybe the person in front of them couldn't go any faster anyway. That might have been as fast well, as they I'm, could I'm go. I'm thinking about being a dirty rotten cheat about this as well. So I'm going to push my way to the front. I am a bit of a slow slob of a bloke, so I might just hold everyone up at the start for a bit and just just run with taking up a lot of space. You're not that wide. You, you probably have to <laughs> struggle to, get, to take up that much space, but all those things. But I, I just love the fact that it's start, yeah, off okay. you go, your start time triggered there when you ran across the mat, there's your finish time, all accurate recorded. It's so much better than it used to be in the mm. old days. I don't know how you would have done an event like the City to Surf with 80,000 people without the electronic timing. And the fact that they build those RFID chips into your bib, mm. obviously they're very cost-effective to actually manufacture and build. You don't want to go and have to have all this extra expense associated with the event. So just technology and everyday use, just things that we're seeing that you go back not that long ago and you just could not do that. That's what yeah. I love about what we talk about so much. The things we're talking about today, in the future, it'll just be... Normal, commonplace. Yeah. That's what you have every single day. Imagine going back when that RFID chip was first introduced in a timing bib. Someone said, oh, this sounds like a good idea. But we'll, we'll record them manually anyway, just in case someone makes a mistake there. But obviously now they just rely on that totally. Mm, very, very interesting. Now let's dive into our first story for today. Google's artificial intelligence has been pulled up after overstepping the mark when some parents were busted for sec uh, child sexual abuse after taking some legitimate photos of their toddler for their doctor. Matt, a glitch in the system, but a fairly confronting glitch for the parents involved there. Of all the things to accuse someone of, mm. accusing someone of being involved in some way, shape or form, child pornography is probably one of those extremely low things to accuse someone of. Bingo. So and, you and, and like any sort of uh, mark sticks, oh, whether it's absolutely. legitimate or otherwise. Yeah, so... To accuse someone of that, you probably want to be sure that everything stacked up. You're pretty sure of your facts. You know, in this particular case, there was a father who noticed something on his toddler's groin. We're talking about an infection on his toddler's groin. So there was a mark there, something that he needed to show to his doctor. He'd been talking to his doctor and he said, I'll just email you a picture. Mm. Innocently yeah. takes a picture of his toddler's groin, 
send it through to his doctor. He just happened to have a Gmail account to do that with. And Gmail, of course, when things are going through the system, it picked up this image and went, here's someone who's sending pictures of a young person's penis. So we better do something about that immediately. So it flagged that immediately. It actually spurred a police investigation. It blocked his account. So suddenly, this poor parent, whilst waiting for a reply from his doctor, which he didn't get because it didn't ever get delivered to the other end, he's waiting innocently. Next, you know, all these things happening behind the scenes. And he's actually sent some information through to Google saying... This is what happened. Here's the story. Here's the complete story. Can you at least unlock my account? Can you take, you know, call the dogs off as such? Yeah. Uh, but Google so far haven't actually responded to that. Oh, really? No. Now, it introduces a few interesting concepts, and we've talked about one of them before. Apple, for example, did notify the entire community, their entire community, that if you had phones on your, sorry, if you had photos on your phone, most of the time people do backups in iCloud. That's where Apple were also scanning. So they were scanning images in iCloud. Now, that scares people a little bit. What, you're looking at all my photos? Well, hopefully they're not looking at all your photos individually per se, mm. but there's an algorithm that looks at those photos to see if there's anything that might resemble child pornography. That's what they're really after here, child pornography. If, if someone decides to take a photo of his adult girlfriend and send it to himself or send it to her or whatever, that's their business. And mm. Apple kind of say, well, we don't really care about that. But at least in Apple's scenario, they seem to do it a bit differently. When something gets flagged, it then goes to a human just to make sure that it's what they think it is rather than just being flagged for some other reason. But in this case, obviously that didn't happen. The AI and Google went, no, this is it. That's good enough. We'll stop it right there. Thanks very much. Again, it was only because they were using their Gmail system. If they were using maybe a work email system or some separate email system, it probably wouldn't have picked that up. So this is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with any of our messaging systems now, whether it be using Facebook or Google or Apple or any of these systems, there is work being done, which is great to try and stop child pornography. Absolutely fantastic. I applaud it all the way. But you really don't want to catch someone innocently in that scenario Mm. and then start accusing them of all sorts of wild things, which I wouldn't like to be accused of, but I'm sure this particular person didn't want to be accused of. Yeah, a safety net perhaps, you know, but uh, yeah, just... I don't know. It's hard to find a perfect situation, isn't it? It is hard to find it. As soon as um, you're not directly involved with the images being passed on, yeah, you've got to make a judgment call somewhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and again, this hopefully can help society in general reduce the incidence of child pornography. What Mm. a a terrible thing to be involved with. Yeah, there'd be a lot more illegitimate stuff going through than there would be legitimate stuff. But still, for those people who are legitimate, that's a a cracker of a thing to be... uh, accused of. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you've got this concept known as child sexual abuse material, CSAM. And just to give you an idea of how bad a problem it is, in 2021, Google reported 621,583 cases of CSAM. Obviously, this year, they'll report a large number, I'm sure, including this one. But hopefully, Mm. we'll finally get to the stage where this particular gentleman is taken off that CSAM reporting list. But it's still pretty scary that they've reported that many copies of, of CSAM material. That's just Google. That doesn't include what might have gone through other providers, whether it be Microsoft or whether it be Facebook or whether it be Apple. That's pretty scary when you think about that. I mean, Google's a global company, obviously, but that still seems like a lot of cases to me, which is why they've set up some of these systems. What do you give that special someone who has everything? Well, it's simple, folks. A laser-guided knife-throwing machine. Boom. There you go. Mic drop. I was only saying what everyone was thinking after all. What did you get for Father's Day, Matt? Not one of these. I don't think that's a good thing. 
We did say at the beginning that there will be things we'll talk about today that in years to come, they'll just be, be standard normal. commonplace. And everyone's going to have a laser-guided knife-throwing machine. Oh, this is one of those I'm hoping <laughs> they don't. I actually find it fascinating. Now, I'm not suggesting people buy one hilarious. of these. hilarious. <laughs> Someone's gone, oh, I'm good at throwing knives, but if I could just be more direct with it. <laughs> and if you I'd look be able at... to kill that fly in the back. <laughs> that's right. If you look at someone in a circus, for example, and they have someone on the wall on that spinning rotating. around, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. and they're throwing knives, what they do in their rehearsals, presumably they're using a dummy to begin with, mm. but they're obviously a certain distance away and they've got to get the number of rotations of the knife correct to actually get to the pointy end to yep. stick into the board and they've got to get it throwing accurately as well. So that's all. There's a bit of maths there that happened in your head. Yeah. And so if they said to someone, now step back three metres, can you do it the same? Well, they'd probably need a bit of practice to get it right. Mm. So exactly as you said, someone said, you know what, that's a lot of practice to go to. Why don't I just build a knife throwing <laughs> machine? And, and just going down that path, you think to yourself, well, how do I get the thing to spin? Mm. How do I work out how many revolutions to make it have depending on how far away it is. So it's quite a complicated process, which I was quite impressed, maybe not so much about just building a knife throwing machine, but the technology in there. So the first thing they do is they actually have a distance calculator. So it sends out a signal, bounces back to say, right, I know that I'm exactly 3.7 metres from the wall that I'm trying to hit. Thank you, laser technology, for that. Perfect. That's the first thing. The second thing they do is then, obviously, this is all happening behind the scenes without the person that's holding the gun or the holding the machine thinking about it. To get that there, I know I want to spin the knife at a certain number of revolutions, but I'll just have to put this amount of spin on the knife because I want the pointy end to go in in 3.7 metres. Mm. And now I need to get it throwing accurately as well. So you just stand there and hold the knife through a machine. It's got a laser pointer on it. You point that laser to it. And I watched a demonstration video, and it was almost like Robin Hood. There was a knife going next to a knife, next to a knife. So 10 knives it holds in its allotment, its magazine, if you call it a magazine. (laughs) And they were going basically spot on into the right spot for those 10 knives. Again, I just, I'm not suggesting people go and buy them. I'm not suggesting give it to your dad for Father's Day. But I just think the technology in that to get it spinning, to get it the right distance, to work out how far it's going to drop. Because a knife's not traveling anywhere near the speed of a bullet, for example. So it's going to drop a certain amount, depending on how far away you are. The manufacturers or, or I'm not sure if it's manufactured or just made so that it can hit a target accurately to about five metres away. So yeah, that's a right. reasonable distance away to, th- to be throwing a knife and get it hitting accurately. Does it fit in a backpack? Can you, uh, <laughs> is it easily unloaded? Taking on a plane maybe? <laughs> 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 so it is quite interesting. I just, I hope people don't use them. Maybe a magician, maybe actually if you're at a circus, Maybe for to example, impress people that come around to your house for dinner. Or at a circus, sure, you can have a guy train for 20 years, but there's a skill shortage out there at the moment. So maybe the next time you go to a circus, the knife thrower will actually just when pull the, out this machine. The knife thrower's out with COVID. That's right. That's right. We've got this machine, folks. All right. Maybe we'll have our next story now. Ever lost a bag on a plane flight? Well, this story is only going to make you paranoid, and I'm sorry about that, folks. When one Florida holidaymaker popped an air tag in her bag as an insurance policy and the bag went missing, they were able to easily track it down. But Matt, it was bad news for somebody. Am I right? Uh, you are right. And we've had a couple of stories lately about air tags. Yeah, and yeah, I, just, I love them. I think they're fantastic. So exactly right. We've talked about it before. Some people put a Bluetooth tracker or an air tag as a 
particular model in their luggage because they're not that sure there's going to be enough baggage handlers at the airport. So they might go and find it and show the airport that, hey, here's my bag. I know it's somewhere. Can you just take me to this particular location? Mm. And we talked about some thieves using GPS trackers on cars. So this one's along that same vein. This particular lady had lost her bag. She talked to the airport. They said, no, 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 it's not here. We can't find it anywhere. Sorry, it's gone somewhere. And she said, well, I've got a, an air tag in it and I can see that it's not at the airport, so here's where it is. And they didn't really seem that interested, so she went to the police. And the police said, oh, well, look, we can go knock on the door. Maybe it's been delivered to the wrong person. Who knows? And they knocked on the door and someone answered and they said, oh, you seem to have a baggage handling uniform on. Let's have a look <laughs> in your place. And they found a lot of bags in this particular person's place. They'd been getting a good little rort going because there were so many bags going missing. This particular baggage handler thought, well... They won't notice it, will they? There's so many bags going missing. It's easy to explain that, oh, whoops, don't know where that one went. I'll just take them home and raid them and away I go. What a good little side income I've got. Mm. Didn't count on the fact that someone might have put an air tag in there. Now, even if he'd gotten home... And obviously they had an Apple phone as well because you have to have it near a, a, within 10 metres of an Apple phone. Exactly right. And so it might have been someone in a next-door apartment. It might have been that particular okay, person. Yeah, yeah. It could have been anyone nearby, the taxi driver on the way home. Who knows? But somewhere. And, and that's the beauty of it. If he opened that bag and went, oh, no, there's an air tag in here. What have I done? So you get the hammer out and you smash it up or you go and drop it in the toilet or whatever. Too late because the air tag will show you the mm. last destination, the last location oh. that it received a signal. So if the person got at home and there'd been a, another iPhone or an iPad somewhere nearby, well, oh, it was last seen here. So it might be sending a signal right now, but it might have shown the last known location. So just another reason to put a Bluetooth tracker in your luggage. And this isn't the one you hope to see. And I'm not saying that baggage handlers are all thieves. This one was, there's going to be a bad egg in, in every group of people, I suppose. So this particular one, but what a way from recording. Just imagine the shock. The police <laughs> opened the door. How did you possibly find me? Well, sir, we just happened to have this bag here with an air tag in it. So, <laughs> And the moral to the story is, of course, crime doesn't pay. Now, here's a new trend for the modern funeral, folks. What do you think about staging a conversation with the deceased? New video software te technology is available for, to the family to engage for one last time with the dearly departed. I don't know how I feel about this one, Matt. It definitely hits the play button on the weird machine for mine. It is a weird one. And the one that I find quite intriguing, the thing I find quite intriguing about this is that this particular person who has got a firm that does this, his mum died. So he'd used his mum as an example of this technology. So mum... Promotion material. Thank one, you, mum. One last contribution you can make to my life. So he's come up with this idea of having conversations with someone who has passed away. First thing he does is he sits down and getting towards the end of their life, if they know that maybe the end is coming, then they do a video with them with a series of questions, lots of questions. James, how did you get into science? James, what's your favourite thing as a school teacher? All sorts of questions that people might ask you at a funeral, for example. And then he puts this into a little bit of AI algorithms and basically then any question that someone asks, the AI can quickly sort through all the questions and answers you were asked oh, and right. comes up with James on screen giving an answer that basically matches the one. Now, if there's a question that someone asks and they have an answer that in the video, they just say, sorry, I, I don't really know the answer to that or they give some... Mm vague answer about it. So you've gone, I've got a, a catch-all, if you like, there. But it's a way of interacting with someone afterwards at the funeral. Now, it's not about doing a fake person, not 
about doing a deep fake of someone and making James suddenly answer all these wonderful questions that someone might ask and give all silly answers that don't make sense. You can just imagine the family there and they ask a question yeah. and they give something, you know, which is your favourite child? Well, actually, I don't like any of my children. So you know, <laughs> actually, you know, there's, there's tears all around. So they are real answers. So you're actually hearing the real thoughts of that person. Mm. It's just done in such a way that it would seem like a natural conversation. So again, it'd be some screen, come up with an answer or, or ask a question. It might be a, a cue on screen, ask a question. And then as soon as the question is given, very quickly it's sorted through the whole library of answers and up pops, up pops the person and they give an answer to that. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm a bit like you. I'm not sure if I love uh, the yeah, idea of It sounds kind someone. of sweet um, when you think about it in one frame of mind. But um, then uh, when you go to farewell someone... Is that one? What are your goals? I guess we're we're just not expecting to be in that position where we get an opportunity to to have one last chat. And sometimes at a funeral, you're probably remembering a person as you knew them. Yeah. And I went to a funeral for someone just a week ago, and they were in their nineties when they died, and I didn't see a particular person much in the last few years, but I had memories of him when he was much younger. So if I had have watched a video of him in his nineties, I would have gone, oh, I don't really remember that version of this person. I I remember him much younger, and I remember him doing these sort of things with me. And yeah. you can imagine people are a bit. And different. maybe you don't want to know about what they got up to in the 60s maybe, and 70s. Maybe not. Yeah. So how was Woodstock for you? Well, let me tell you about that. Tell yeah. us, why did you have that goldfish bowl in the corner of the lounge room? But maybe, as we talked about at the beginning, maybe people were doing this as a standard thing. Maybe this will be a standard add-on service. So you would like that casket, sir, when you're planning your funeral and you'd like this particular hymn. And by the way, here's the extra service for a couple of thousand dollars extra that we can add into your whole service there. Who knows? It's a changing world we live in. It is a very, very dynamic sort of a world we live in. problems again folks here's our segment sometimes having to unlock my phone with a fingerprint or a pin code is just plain annoying and wastes valuable milliseconds of facebook scrolling time if only there was a faster way that used less energy matt if only james if only these are the problems that we can solve here on our podcast so there's been a few advances made obviously we got to the point where we wanted some sort of identification so a pin was the obvious yeah, one some sort of security for your phone that's right four digit six digit Type it in, that's okay. You get in there. If you want to let someone get into it, tell them the number. Not good advice, but that's the way you go. And as you said, we wanted faster ways to do it. Fingerprint seem like a good way. Then face ID, you pick it up, it's automatically recognising your face. But I did notice I've got one of our kids home at the moment from uni and she picked up my phone and she said, oh, Dad, can you just unlock it? Oh, it's unlocked. As soon as she looked at it, her face was obviously a similar enough structure. Oh, really? Not sure what that says about my daughter's looks there, that she looks <laughs> like her dad, but it was a similar enough face structure that it actually unlocked her phone automatically. Oh, you're a very attractive man. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so we need something better than that. So some researchers came up with this idea of just the way your phone moves when you pick it up. Now you've got accelerometers in your phone, you've got ways that your phone knows which way it's pointing. And so they got 217 volunteers and they said, we want you to just pick up your phone, hold it, move it, put it down again, pick it up, hold it, move it, put it down again. And they gathered this whole database of how all these different people in the room use their phones. Handle their phone differently. That's right. And then, and, and again, this is about how accurate some of these sensors in our phones are. If I looked at you pick up your phone or I looked at me picking up my phone, I'd say, well, gee, James looked like he was 3.68 metres per second and he's lifted and he lifted in this orientation and mine was 3.92. You wouldn't see that for a human. But for the sensors that are in the phone, they're accurate enough to pick up those minor differences. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so then they did about 1,100 tests and they said to all those people, now, they're not your phones. We're just going to get you to pick up these random phones we've got in front of you and we'll see how accurately you can predict 
who picked it up. And they got to the point where they got 92.5% accuracy and within one and a half seconds. So literally, if this sort of technology gets introduced into phones, and this is a very early version of it, then it would literally be you pick up your phone and it's unlocked by the time you're looking at it. Don't worry about your face. Don't worry about your fingerprint. It's just the way you pick it up. Well, that means I can get into that Facebook scrolling faster than I ever did before. It's already there for you. As soon as you look at it, it's there, James. It's there. So, again, interesting. Uh, how long before we'll see it? Give it five years. You'll see that in phones, I reckon. Yeah, wow. <laughs> oh, goodness me. I just It strikes me as interesting that someone thought, no, this is a better way of doing it. <laughs> Face, fingerprint, <laughs> pin. Yeah, no, there's got to be a better way. This is so annoying to have to do my fingerprint. How long before it'll be just your voice? It'll be unlock, and then your phone will be unlocked. Another version. Now, for those of you still shooting down wind turbines as an alternative energy source, I'm afraid that the old, well, the blades are non-recyclable, gotcha, that's got an expiry date on it right now. Turns out that with some good old human ingenuity, that there are plans for recycling them in a whole bunch of ways, even into gummy bears, Matt. Gummy bears. This is, I, I love Low the Low fiberglass gummy bears, I hope. Like, well, there's not, a few not too many shards of nasty things <laughs> that are going to jab into your throat as you're trying to swallow them. Don't you like the idea of fiberglass in your gummy, <laughs> gummy bears? There's though? a Monty Python sketch in there, I'm sure. There is. So I'm going to go back a little bit with this because I get some intriguing questions probably from a lot of the stuff we talk about on our podcast, but I get some intriguing questions about all these people that are sceptics. You know, this whole new energy economy that we will have, I Mm. guarantee that we will have it. For those sceptics out there, I'm sorry, there's bad news for you. We will have this new energy economy. Mm. And one of the things that people ask is, and, and just jumping a little bit sideways here, with electric vehicles, they always say, oh yeah, but how many kilometers before you have to replace the battery? Well, no one, no one, I guarantee has ever said to a new car salesman, right, I'm going to buy that new car, but how long before I have to replace that petrol engine? Mm. It's just not thought of. And the irony here is that a battery will last dramatically longer than a petrol engine and with zero maintenance. You don't need to change the oil on your battery. You don't need to change various parts at the filters and make sure everything's going okay. You just sit there and use it. It'll degrade over time. But it's something that I saw a survey out of Europe that said, People in Europe, just doing some EV surveys, had 350,000 kilometres on their EV, had never done any maintenance on their battery, not there's really maintenance to do, and they were still above 90% of their new vehicle range on there. So it only degraded about 10%. Imagine 350,000 kilometres on a petrol engine with zero maintenance. Mm. I don't think it would really be going that well. So that's interesting. The other one I hear is exactly as you said, wind farms. I see wind farms and I just think they look majestic. I just think... Wow, isn't well, that fascinating? Certainly impressive. I mean, there there are architecture. Well, sorry, sorry, engineering that um, pops out of the landscape, and people say, "Well, that's interfering with my view of the natural landscape." But they're not everywhere in the national uh, natural landscape. They're not. And would you rather that view with an interruption of some wind turbines or the smoke out of a coal-fired yeah, power yeah. station? So it's an easy argument from that perspective. But what happens is people see these wind turbines, and exactly you say they're a blight on the landscape, but again, I find them quite majestic. Typically 12 revs per minute they spin at, so they're quite slow. The, the tips can be quite fast because they're long blades, you know, several hundred kilometres an hour, but you just watch them and you go, wow, I find that fascinating that that's just turning away majestically and that's producing power. I mean, one turbine now, you're at the size that one turbine could easily do about 3,000 homes. Mm. Just fascinating. Anyway, so one of the things with... Turbines is people don't say, 
about a coal-fired power station. Yeah, but what are you going to do with it in 29 years 29 when the coal-fired power station is no good? <laughs> and that's the average life of a coal-fired power station yeah. is 29 years. Can you recycle those big stacks? Yeah, I don't think so. They're just concrete. There's not oh. a lot of recycling you can do with all of that. But when they see wind turbines, they jump up and down and say, yeah. oh, yeah, but it's not recyclable in 29 or 30 years' time. You're going to have to bury all that. So I kind of think about a couple of things there. There's one thing is that if you do the numbers – then a wind turbine, a single wind turbine we're talking about here, if it spins away for its lifetime, which is about 30 years, and a 3 megawatt is almost the smallest wind turbine you'd put in now, that will produce 330 gigawatt hours of electricity on average. Yeah. Now, that's not assuming it's spinning the whole time because they do stop them for maintenance and so and sometimes the wind doesn't blow. So that's at a 42% life cycle, which seems to be about the average life cycle of a wind turbine over 30 years. Now, if you had to burn the equivalent coal to produce 330 gigawatt hours, you'd burn 172,000 tonnes of coal yeah. for that amount of power. So the people that say, oh, yeah, but in 30 years you've got to bury those turbines, I say, is that it? Is that the best you've got? <laughs> now, 172,000 tonnes of coal versus yeah. bearing some wind turbines, well... Yeah, you know, it's not that good an argument if that's the best you've got. But now we don't have to bury them. Now. Who would have thought that technology would catch up with this? Unbelievable. Who would have? <laughs> so at the moment, there's some processes in place that aren't great for recycling blades. They do sometimes get buried. There's no doubt about that. But we've now got a new material, and this is what we'll see blades being made from shortly. It does still combine glass fibres, but you've got some plant-derived and some Poly, uh, some artistic, no, artistic, some artificial polymers, and this is made with a, a composite resin. What happens is once you've finished with that turbine, once, for example, you say we've now got bigger turbines, we need to replace that turbine 30 years down the track, you basically put that in a solution that dissolves the resin so you can take the core components out. And those core components can be glass fibres and they can be all the components that make it up, but one of the parts of the core components that goes into it is food-grade potassium lactate. And that's what we have in gummy bears. So <laughs> at the end of its lifetime, 30 years' time, you easily dissolve everything in there, you take out those core components, maybe make new turbines out of it, turbine blades out of it, maybe make other things out of it, or maybe make gummy bears out of it. My favourite flavour of gummy bear? Wind turbine. <laughs> Good. I thought you were going to reveal so much about yourself then, James. <laughs> but it is interesting, just quickly there, 10 Mile Lagoon in WA was the first commercial wind turbine of any note in Australia. There were some little sample demonstration farms set up, but 10 Mile Lagoon over in WA was first established in 1993. So it's basically 30 years ago, 29 mm. years ago. That's still spinning at the moment. There's nine turbines there, and in total, those nine turbines produce about two megawatts. As I said before, a single turbine now, the, the standard minimum size for a single turbine is three megawatts. Yeah. So they can replace those nine turbines with one, but they're still spinning, they're still producing power, and they've been doing it for the last 29 years. And what they replaced in that particular community where they were put in in 10 Mile Lagoon, there wasn't a connection to the grid, so they had their own little diesel generator. So for the last 29 years, a diesel generator has been replaced by nine turbines to produce power over there in 10 Mile Lagoon. There you go. So they do keep spinning, they do keep working, but when you do recycle them, then now we've got a future. So that argument about, oh yeah, but you've got to replace the wind turbines with some you bury on the ground. No, you can just put some dissolving solution in there and break them down now. There you go. What's the next argument people can come up with <laughs> after that? Uh, just hold on and wait for that one. Sick to death of those boring, mundane daily chores? 
The good news is, is that Elon Musk cares about you. He's been thinking of you and wants to alleviate your pain. At Tesla, they've been adapting the artificial intelligence technology from the self-driving function of their cars, and the Tesla bot is now due to be released this year, folks. Matt, let's start with the dishwasher. Will it pack my dishwasher? Yes. Excellent. I'm getting one. If you listen to Elon. Yeah, right, okay. Now, Elon does have a bit of that... He does like to talk a big game. He does. He's got a bit of the Thomas Edison gene, where he promises a lot and promises a time frame that seems unbelievable. So unbelievable, in fact, that you shouldn't believe it. Yeah, but okay. He it is sounds saying, too good to be true. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So he said back last year, actually, that his robot, his little Tesla bot, codenamed Optimus, will be ready very shortly, and it's using all the same chips and sensors as the autopilot on Tesla cars. I, I had a look at this guy on uh, YouTube and he looks a little bit freaky. <laughs> he does a bit, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so the autopilot software, so he's basically saying we've already got the robot now. It's yeah. just in the shape of a car, but we're going to build it in the shape of a humanoid feature. So they've got this and he's promised by 2022 we can purchase one of these. Now, I'm not sure if anyone's told Elon, but we're in 2022 yeah, now. And it's running out of time. That's right. Really, we've only got really a few quickly. months left. So hurry up. But if it does come to fruition, it's 172 centimetres tall and it can do some of those boring household chores for you, like packing the dishwasher, like ironing some clothes, like maybe picking up the clothes from the kids' floor and putting it somewhere more sensible. One thing that does concern me a little bit is that he does talk about the fact that it can carry 20 kilograms. It can lift 68 kilograms and it can run at eight kilometres an hour. So you think, well, that's interesting. They're the stats. But then Elon went on to say the machine will be designed so that humans can easily run away from it and overpower it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started thinking, so why would you need to run <laughs> away from it? And why would you because need to overpower it? Because this has got the capacity to take over the world. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> Terminator it. Day. So if it. Terminator day. So if it doesn't quite work right, it's okay. <laughs> you can beat it up good. in a fight. Good. And run away and from push it. it over. Does that give you confidence for, now? For those people who don't know what we, what it might look like, um, if you can imagine Frozone from, uh, what was it, the Incredibles cartoon movie? That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Looks a bit like a faceless Frozone to, for mine. Yeah, you're right yeah long slender limbs yeah. um, and a, a big black sort of face that's just without features. Yeah, yeah that's, that's about it, actually. That's a good description. So the, the whole concept here, though, is we are seeing, or we will see robots in our home. Now, we've got robot vacuum cleaners. They're not that smart, but we've got... Other things, and even just some of the devices we have in our phone, an Amazon device or a Google Home device that you can talk to, when you start to get to the stage where these things are combined, natural language questions to something in your home, just saying to Alexa, what will the temperature be tomorrow, for example, you get mm -hmm. these natural interactions between a device and then add that into a humanoid that can actually do some things around the home. I think we are definitely going to see these things. By 2022, in an operational manner, I don't think so. One of the things that Elon does talk about in this is that it's got its own intelligence to keep learning as it goes, which kind of says it's not finished, doesn't it? Mm. So it'll learn how to pick up those clothes better as time goes on, mm. which says that it doesn't know how to do them in the first place. But it will learn and it's okay and it won't do nasty things to you, but if it does it, you can overpower it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you wake up in the middle of the night and it's just standing by your bedside. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for a command, well, sir. <laughs> just, just watching you sleep. <laughs> then that's the time to move out. That's when you run away. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you can run faster than 8 kilometres an hour. Okay. <laughs> I love vinyl records. I love the smell of them. 
when you pull them out of the sleeve. I love the glossy sheen that catches the light as you load it onto the spindle. I love the crackle and the hiss as you drop the needle under the groove on the rim. It's no wonder that there was a surge in the market after the lockdowns began in 2020 as Gen Xers and baby boomers alike went looking for a nostalgic fix to, a, to fill that emotional need. But the demand has become so heavy, folks, that there's a market backlog in vinyl records now. And it's big enough to issue, uh, well, it's a big enough issue for producers to go looking for a green solution. Matt, what's this all about? The green solution for making vinyl records. Oh, look, my solution will be just stop making them, James. It's simple. Oh, no! <laughs> I know, uh, uh, people can argue about the sound, but uh, when you hear Led Zeppelin played on one of those beefy old stereos, oh. So awesome. can I put that on my hip and go for a walk while no, I'm listening can't. to it? <laughs> Although we probably could make something, make a backpack with a vinyl record. Yeah, like I'm just, just going to go for a run. <laughs> just just scratches on. a little bit, jumps a little bit <laughs> all over the place. Don't run too bouncy because it might just pop around <laughs> and scratch. So I, I must admit I'm not an audiophile by any stretch of the imagination and the music that comes in MP3 format sounds just fine to me. Thanks very much. Yeah, and I'll give you that. But there's still, I don't know, it's a very, because uh, it's a thing of my childhood, as soon as I hear that crackle and hiss, I go, oh. <laughs> That's I right. can snuggle in now. It's like it's Cocoa Pops. It's snap, yeah. crackle and pop, and, and that's it. But anyway, if you like that, that's fine. But you're right. There's a lot of people buying vinyl records now, which I, I won't go into the commentary on the state of minds of those people, but that's what they want to do. That's fine. But as the name is, vinyl records, they're made from PVC, polyvinyl mm. chloride. And that's a bad thing because they're made to be a hard plastic yeah. so that the needle running over From it, crude oil products as well. Exactly. But the needle running over it wants to be really, on a hard surface, wants to be really hard because you want it to stay and not deform mm. as that needle plays over it many, many times, which obviously is what happens with an old vinyl record. But it's a very hard plastic. So that means when you finally get to the stage where you go, you know what, I'm finally going to go to a CD maybe or MP3 and you throw it in the rubbish bin, it will sit in the ground for a long, long time, maybe yeah. ever, but it's not going to break down because it is such a hard plastic. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. So they're not seen as very green in their manufacture and they're not seen as very green in their total life cycle. But people are wanting them. So now one particular manufacturer has come up with a green solution. They're using PET, polyethylene terry terra. Athlete. Is that how I pronounce it? Is yeah, that, that sounds good enough yeah, to me. Right, yeah, good. So, and you see a lot of bottles, water bottles, for example, have got the PET label on them. So that can break down. But then you've got the problem that, well, we've got something here that can be broken down, but is that going to work very well as a record? Because you've got that needle sitting in the groove wearing out the record because it's mm -hmm. not as hard as PVC. One manufacturer in Eindhoven, and I'm a big fan of Eindhoven. I've been to Eindhoven a couple of times, and it's known I in love Europe. The name Eindhoven. <laughs> well, in Europe, it is known as the innovation city across Europe. I don't know whether it's true or not, but when I spoke to local Eindhovians, they told me that more patents per capita came out of Eindhoven than anywhere else in the world. It sounds good. I should research that <laughs> one day. But anyway, that's the claim they make. But this is actually in Eindhoven, so it supports that whole concept of innovation. And there is a manufacturer there using PET to make vinyl records. And they say that they're just as good or almost as good as a normal vinyl record. But more importantly, if it does end up in landfill, it can break down and it won't be a terrible thing for the environment. Not sure how much better it is in the manufacturing process. I assume it's a little bit better in manufacturing, but more that it won't be a blight on our landfill for ever and a day. There you go. And we'll hopefully clear the backlog of people waiting to get their Dire Straits Brothers in Arms record. Again, <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's another good rant. So, Led Zeppelin and Dire Straits, a couple of good random ones to pull out of the woods. This next song.
story is going to need some explanation, Matt. Bike helmet making company POC has produced the world's first self-powered bike helmet. Matt, I'm a bit of an old school person here. My, my bike helmet just sits on my head and hopefully stops the bruising. What am I missing out on? Ah, oh, James, James, James. First world problems we solve here on a regular basis. It's a real hassle when I come back from a bike ride to park my bike and then I plug one lead into my tail light and one lead into my headlight, oh, okay. another lead into my trip computer. And not every night, but I've got electronic gears on my bike, of course, so I have to plug that in as well. Again, not every night. But, oh, that can take me 15 seconds sometimes. <laughs> it is a hassle. And this is part of my solution going forward. So this particular helmet has got power foil on top, which is a type of a solar panel, but a type of a solar panel that's very clever in that it can pick up energy from any light source. So inside lights, coming through a window, outside in the sun, a bit of moonlight, anything at all it'll pick up some power from. This helmet's got a battery built into it and then it's got a tail light built in. The idea here is that when I pick up the helmet, it's got motion sensors, it knows, oh, it's on the move. I'll turn on the tail light automatically for Matthew because he couldn't be bothered turning it on. I get on the bike, I ride, I'm moving. It's out there, maybe in the sun, charging up, maybe in the dark. It's got a battery in it. It still keeps powering that tail light. And then when I come back and I sit it down in my spot in the garage where I have where my bike sits, it says, oh, I don't seem to have moved for the last 30 seconds. I guess the tail light's not needed anymore. I'll turn it off, but I'll keep sucking in as much energy as I can while it's sitting in the garage, maybe through the windows, maybe in the lights in the garage, and be ready, all powered up, for tomorrow, when Matthew comes out to go for another ride. <laughs> How could it get any better than that? Now, the next thing is... This sounds like a Father's Day present. It does, ever. doesn't it? The next thing is where they can get it better, in my opinion, is if they can harvest enough power to be able to power a headlight as well. Because it still means I've got to plug in my headlight on my bike. I've eliminated one of the four things I've got to plug in. So that's a good step. That saved me a few seconds. But surely we can get better out of this. And this power foil is quite clever. It's it's called a light harvesting material, but it is a solar panel. But it is designed so that any light that gets on it from any source, it can actually charge that battery up. So I think that's a great concept. And I'm sure we'll see this used in other ways as well. The good part is you don't need a lot of power to charge that battery up. There's LED lights that you're using. So essentially low energy, energy, that's right. And they'll typically flash, so they're not actually on for that long. It's not like a normal filament light that's bad for it to be flashing on off when it's flashing on off. It's only powering it for that millisecond that it might be turning on for, then no power for the rest of the time. So they're very energy efficient. So you don't need a big battery in the helmet because I did think, I wonder if it's much heavier than a normal helmet, which might be bad if I do fall off because I kind of still want it to protect my head in an accident. That's a primary purpose of the helmet. If it doesn't do that, it's kind of failed to a certain extent. But it didn't seem really much heavier at all. And the battery seemed to be down in the lower part of the helmet where essentially it's kind of keeping it sitting on your head, okay, not at the top part where I thought that might be a bit of a problem. So all around, love it. I love to see more products come out like this. Very, very cool. And just like that, we're all done and dusted for another glorious week of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Thank you once again, Matt, for your insight, exploring the land of tomorrow. I've got some knives to go and throw, James. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, I'm off to ask my kids why, as their father, I'm so undeserving as to not receive a laser-guided knife-throwing machine yet. Yeah, well, that's a big discussion you've got to have with your children. (laughs) I can't help you on that one. Sitting around the dining room table. All right, kids, get your priorities. Thanks very much for tuning in. Once again, folks, it's an absolute pressure to... Pressure. Yeah, pleasure to bring the show to you. I'm James Eddy, um, even with someone else's tongue quite clearly, and we'll see you again.